everyone and welcome to Better Done Than Perfect, a show for SaaS marketers and product people. Our awesome guest today is Monica Lent, the founder of Affiliate, and we're going to talk about creative SEO for SaaS. This show is brought to you by Userlist, an email automation platform for SaaS companies. Onboard, engage, and nurture your customers as well as marketing leads. To follow the best practices, download our free printable email planning worksheets at useless.com slash worksheets. Hi, Monica. Hey, Jane. How are you doing? Doing great. We're so excited to learn from you. So we just recently discovered that SEO is one of your like side passions that we should be discussing in addition to affiliate marketing and uh, analytics. But for those who don't know, let's start with your background story and what you did before starting a SaaS product. Absolutely. So I'm originally from the United States, but I moved to Germany eight or nine years ago. It's getting long enough that I'm not totally sure the exact amount of time anymore. But I moved here to uh, work at a tech job and then ultimately joined a startup here in Berlin. And I quit that job now, it's like three years ago, to start building my own company. The company is called Affiliate, and we do analytics for affiliate publishers, specifically media companies, that helps them do data aggregation, attribution, and also tools for them to streamline their content production process. So yeah, it kind of was another one of my side hobbies of like building a travel website that was monetized through affiliate marketing that led me into this industry, which I previously didn't have experience in. And of course, along the way, you learn a little bit of SEO. Amazing. So today we're honored to discuss some of your secret uh, sauce kind of ideas, uh, some things that you did that you can rarely find in SaaS marketing. But give us a primer. Can you disclose any numbers of like how far you've gone into SEO success? Like, because I know the, the numbers, I'm wondering whether you can share your monthly uniques and things like that. Of course. I mean, I've operated a couple of different properties by now with varying amounts of traffic. So, and the metrics are always a little bit different depending on what you're targeting. So the first website, let's say that I ranked ever was uh, this travel site, which these days gets, you know, over 150,000 monthly visitors. And yeah, that was kind of like my testing ground where I originally learned how to write content, do keyword research, et cetera. And then nowadays on my SaaS website, uh, this has been way more challenging. And I'm sure the challenges are something that the reader or the listeners rather will relate to. But uh, there we have now over 100,000 monthly page views and something like 61,000 monthly unique visitors from Google. So Brilliant. And I think at the beginning of last year, it was more like 3,000. So it has been quite a journey to ramp that up. But, you know, slow and steady, eventually we are getting there. So it is just two years that you've been working on this uh, too. Well, I had some failed, like a failed year before. Mm -hmm. But in terms of like really investing the money into it and the time, uh, I would say it's about two years. Yeah. Zooming out, you've run non-SaaS and SaaS SEO. What do you think the challenges are for your particular SaaS business and for 
any others and then i'm gonna complement this with my own problems as well here yeah (laughs) no i would love to hear about it i'm sure that uh, a lot of it is relatable i would say the big difference is you know previously when i was writing a lot of content in the travel space a lot of times you could just compete on content quality you didn't necessarily have to think as much about backlinks or authority or like having content clusters, those things like surely helped, but you could get away with ranking for some pretty big keywords without necessarily having built links to a page. For instance, my website ranks on the first page of Google for things to do in Berlin, which is a really big keyword. And at least for a while, we were number two and number three, that kind of spot, you know, which gets you tens of thousands of visitors per month. And then, you know, you look over on the SaaS side of things and number one, the search volumes are just way lower. So you're spending (laughs) a lot of money to produce content and then the amount of people you can reach with it. I don't have a single article that's reaching 20, 30,000 people on our SaaS website, but I do on the travel site, right? There's just more, let's say, demand. But I would say it's also just more competitive in a lot of ways, because as I was talking about before we started recording, you know, we're competing with companies like ConvertKit or Shopify, you know, who have a lot of domain authority and like well-oiled content machines. But our target keywords happen to be ones that they're also trying to rank for for different reasons. And so this means that we couldn't just go on quality. We had to also go down the rabbit hole of building backlinks. So I would say those are kind of the main differences that I've seen so far. It's harder to rank, at least on content quality alone. And also the search volumes are a lot smaller. So it feels sometimes like you're fighting over scraps. I don't know if that like resonates at all with your experience at UserList, but I'd be curious to hear about that. Very much that. So UserList targets SaaS. And when you put SaaS to any sort of word, well, suddenly the search volume is like crickets. But also as an upside, uh, certainly it's easier to rank, but you're never sure where people are going to say like SaaS email marketing or just email marketing. If they say just email marketing, you're you're done. Like, welcome to the world of MailChimp, HubSpot and whatever not. Like, mm-hmm. this is a pretty hard game. So and there is another channel we challenge we try to also make it useful for humans for actual Mm -hmm. use cases just because we can't produce everything in the world we want to produce something that can also is readable for our audience that exists and yeah that's uh, pretty hard so we over the last year we've gotten some good results but the numbers are not the ones to boast with you know (laughs) like I mean, a lot of SEO professionals are pretty small. Yeah, they would also not necessarily be impressed with ours. But at the end of the day, the question is, how many trials do you have? You know, how many of those end up converting because you brought those people who are kind of ready to buy in the door? And at least for us, we are also in the unfortunate situation. Maybe it's a bit similar to you guys of doing market education. And so this means we have to also target a lot of these top of funnel type of keywords and then try to filter them out, you know, on the (laughs) way to the trial, you know, or else it becomes a bit of a support burden. So it is definitely a different type of challenge than other types of SEO, at least in my experience so far. So what are these things that you have done that others are not doing? What, What are those creative ways we're discussing today? Yeah. So I think one of the biggest things that I did in 2022 to 
you know, extract myself from the content production process was like one, hiring our first virtual assistant, and then two, migrating us from having a statically generated website to being powered by a CMS. We're using Sanity for this. And what this basically allows you to do is to treat all of your, your content as data. And then on the side of the website, you know, we're able to basically stitch together this data in different ways to create, you know, for instance, more landing pages or more blog posts. And one of the like most successful techniques that we've experimented with this year and seen a lot of success with is creating listicles where you can actually reuse those list items across multiple pieces of content. So for example, to give like a concrete idea, we're talking about travel. We currently rank number one for the, a list of the best travel affiliate programs and travel affiliates. You know, this is one of our main verticals. So we want to attract people who are looking for those types of programs, but there are also other types of related programs that have way smaller search volume. For instance, you could say hotel affiliate programs or car rental affiliate programs. It's all kind of in the same area, but you know, it's not going to have the same type of search volume. And so what we do is basically pay content writers to create descriptions of each program. And we have hundreds of programs in our database. And then we're able to mix and match these into, you know, a near infinite number of different articles and do this in a way that is really cost effective, you know, versus paying for long form SaaS content, which I'm sure, you know, can be very expensive. And sometimes, you know, with those low search volumes, also hard to justify the price on a piece by piece basis. That's exactly the trap we're in. (laughs) 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 What, like, how high is the high number you're, you're seeing? So like, what is the total number of listicles you've been able to produce in this year? Oh, that's a good question. I can't say I know the number off the top of my head. It's probably between 30 and 40. I'm not sure exactly how many we were publishing, but I wish I knew. I wish I knew how many we published this year, but it's been a lot. And it's been something where we could basically do that in parallel to the longer form articles. And the benefit of these types of posts as well is that they are so much faster, both to create briefs for for our virtual assistant and also for the writers to write for, because we basically prepared the research for them and they just had to do the writing. So to give you like a price point, you know, we paid, I think $10 per item in the listicle. So if you had a listicle with 20 items, then this would cost $200. And then we paid 10 cents a word for the intro, uh, just to like give people a little bit of a benchmark. And what that meant, of course, is that maybe the one article ends up costing, you know, $250 or $300, but a lot of those pieces could then be reused in other articles and kind of updated in a scalable way through the CMS. And then you actually bring down the price per article because you start to average it over all of those listicles. And I think that's something that I don't know how we would have produced this amount of content paying the industry rate at least like where we started the year with, right? It would have been super difficult to do. I don't know how much you're paying and like maybe we don't want to like discuss that, but you know, there is a very broad range of how much it can cost to create an article and it's not cheap in the B2B space for sure. There are two concerns. Uh, One is, are you not worried about those pieces of repeated content over over your post? Because like the 
the little bird says, uh, Google can penalize for this. And another one that I personally come across, for example, popular thing we do is like MailChimp alternative for SaaS, uh, Intercom alternative for SaaS, things like that. Well, the listicle itself has very similar items in it. So it's Mm. not like you can come up with 20 things here and another 20 things there, or at least half of them, like, they're pretty much the same. It's all ESPs, just mix and match. Does this not look too similar to Google? I mean, that's the risk that we took. And so Mm -hmm. far, we haven't had a problem. So Mm -hmm. in the end, it's all about the results, right? So. I mean, in our case, it's not that we have two articles where, you know, 90% of them are the same. What we will do is certainly make enough variation that it matters. Also, the intro is going to be different. So those are all written like uniquely, but obviously those are only a couple hundred words. So it's a lot more cost effective to do than a two to 3000 word article that is unique every single time. Uh, So yeah, we haven't had that problem yet. I would say these, at least the types of keywords that we're targeting, they have meaningful search volume. They are less competitive. And of course, you know, the more people realize this, the more competition that we have. But the other kind of edge that we put in there is that we actually choose the items to feature in our listicles based on scraping data from the internet. So instead of just saying these are the best based on our opinion, you know, we collect a data set, you know, we run it through some proprietary tools that we have. And then we're able to extract which ones are the most popular based on this this method. And it also just lends a bit of credibility to those lists. And so far, this, you know, being able to establish that credibility in the content and saying we have an actual methodology for how we chose these, I think, has really resonated with people and also somehow indirectly with Google as well. <laughs> so what? Uh, how many items does a typical listicle have? in your completely content. depends. I mean, mm-hmm. we have some that rank number one where it's just seven. So we rank right. for like best financial affiliate programs and there's just seven items there. But whenever possible, we do also like collect sources for our content as well. So those might be included in the intro if needed. Then we have also much longer ones. Like I think the travel piece is probably over 20 uh, just because there are a lot of options there and the spread is a lot wider. So it doesn't have to be a lot to rank highly. I think it's a lot about the quality and being precise in terms of giving people actual recommendations. Like you said, being useful because so much of the content out there is just not useful. Mm-hmm. Can't agree more. Tell us more about that scraping process you're using. Like, is it something that you've written personally or is it some tool that you found that allows you to do mm-hmm. educated research? Yeah. So it's in-house, but I can explain (laughs) a bit about like how our content, like how the production works here is, you know, we will essentially decide on a vertical where we want to write about that particular topics, affiliate programs. So let's say it's fitness, for example, and then our virtual assistant, she'll go ahead and collect a list of like the top websites in that space you know, industry-leading publications, also a mix of like smaller blogs and niche sites to get like a good sample. And then we'll run that sample through an internal tool that we built. And the original purpose of this internal tool was actually deciding if we wanted to do cold outreach to the owner of that website, because we could see whether they had 
you know, links on their website that were a match for the types of integrations that we support. But now, you know, we can also use that to understand which merchants they're promoting the most often. So then we can take this data and see, you know, which are the most popular merchants in a specific uh, vertical and then be able to rank those in the content in a data-informed way. So it is written by ourselves because a big part of our business is doing web scraping and crawling. And yeah, we were basically able to repurpose an internal tool for this and makes the process way more efficient and credible than just picking a random list. What's your top advice for finding writers, managing writers, editing? Like I I didn't hear the word editing in your (laughs) uh, brilliant story. Like where does that fall in, in the workflow? Absolutely. I mean, I think that this is something where there's a very big difference between where you start and build up enough momentum to then where you can say, okay, I'm ready to spend more money on the content. Because, you know, at the beginning of this year, I shared this publicly in some of my articles last year, you know, we were only at a couple thousand dollars in MRR. So at that time, it was also not possible to spend a huge amount of money on content. It had to be done pretty, pretty scrappily. So like finding and sourcing the writers, I mostly did this through Facebook groups. You can find a lot of digital nomads who are, you know, not necessarily living in really expensive places. They're looking for like flexible job that they can do uh, very asynchronously. So we've worked with uh, a couple writers in Canada, for example, and, you know, we're never online at the same time, but that doesn't really matter uh, when it comes (laughs) to them doing their work. And then, yeah, at the time, like those, those listicle posts really just don't require that much editing because they are more objective and reported as opposed to having a lot of opinions you know? And, and that meant that the editing process was very lightweight at the time versus today where, you know, we're writing a combination of these listicles and descriptors alongside those, that longer form content that is more expensive. You need to build the links to rank, et cetera. And for that, we now have uh, also a freelance editor that we work with. So that itself has also kind of like, you know, added quite a bit to the, to the cost. But for me personally, it takes me out of being the editor myself. And so I just treat it as paying for my time. Let's talk about link building. Did you know that that's going to matter from the start or did you have to adopt it midway because something was not working? Like what was your success curve there? It was definitely the second one. So (laughs) it's one of those things where I think like a lot of people talk about SEO and they say, when it comes to SaaS, just write content that is solving the problem you want your readers to have, like who will become your customers. So we started writing content for keywords that kind of didn't exist or had really low search volume and that didn't work, but then started also writing keywords writing content about keywords that did have established search volume, but couldn't seem to rank for them either. And so ultimately I just said, okay, all of our competitors have so many backlinks, like there was no way around it. And so, yeah, I did, I did the guest posting. I mean, people say that it doesn't work. I think it works. I think people still do it today. There are a lot of communities where you can find people who are doing guest posting for B2B SaaS content. 
a lot of reputable websites will also accept guest authors that you can pitch them. So there are a lot of ways to do it. And it's extremely time consuming because you may be writing the content yourself and pitching it as you're the expert contributing to them. But yeah, for, for me and for us, it was worth it because we got to have those backlinks and they make a big difference. And now, as I said, we are ranking alongside pretty big companies that are multiple orders of magnitude bigger than us. Um, but what we also did to be able to rank in addition to strategically building backlinks to kind of hub pieces of content was also just being relentless about the focus. So almost every article on our website includes the word affiliate marketing. And that's it. That's all we write about. Um, but it means Google thinks that we're an expert and we rank for, you know, big keywords like how to start affiliate marketing. You know, we're in the top like search results for that. So those two things together, I think made a really big difference. And it was, yeah, after a year of failure of being like, this is just not working that I had to try a different approach and get the links. We had a brilliant episode with, uh, Pavel Grabowski here. If maybe last year, I'm going to link to that in the show notes. He explained that concept again, that being an authority on a topic for Google, it's very hard to get there. But once you get there, it gets much easier. Uh, so mm -hmm. let's say one thing he said that stop putting the name useless into every, every title of the page, because like Google knows it's from useless, like But what Google also knows is that UserList is an expert in SaaS email marketing specifically. So if we publish something else in that cluster topic, we're going to be more successful by definition than any other new article. So that's that's great leg up to have. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, I, you definitely, I think you surely notice also when your content starts to rank faster and better and it kind of like improves the ranking of all of the content kind of around the same time. It's not just mm -hmm. one article that starts to do better. You just see your whole content portfolio kind of improve. The general pattern to be expected is to have like three to six months of waiting time before something that you've written shows up on Google, even for good sites. I don't know. what What's your uh, sentiment on that? I think it depends, which is always what people say in SEO. But yeah. um, <laughs> I think for the easy stuff, like what I pay attention to, First is like, I want to know how quickly is Google indexing our new content? And I think that publishing frequency, again, these are things that are, let's say, theories and observations, but everyone can argue about them because there is no hard and fast rule. But it matters, in my view, how often you're publishing content. So when we were publishing every single week, it made a big difference because we would also see, okay, this article is already in Google now and we published it yesterday. Like, mm. this is a good sign. And then it takes a little bit of time to rank, but I think that time also gets shorter and shorter as you establish expertise in something. So I would expect us to get traffic sooner to those articles. But these days, I'm a little more hands-off of the process, thankfully, so I'm not paying that much attention. I just know, like, don't stop the machine. Like, keep feeding it a combination of, like, money and content and just trust in the process that it's going to pay off down the road. Is it your number one marketing channel at the moment? I would say so. I would say so. I mean, most people find us through Google and they will say that when they book a demo, they will come in through Google. Sometimes it's also podcasts or 
Twitter maybe or something like that. But the sheer mass of like people that we reach is mostly Google. For you, it's it's a bit obvious that people who you are targeting, it's not in your community. So like for users who's targeting SaaS, we're kind of like broiling in our own juice. Like many of our friends <laughs> are potential customers. Like we don't really do unethical things there, but we might have an illusion that by sheer reputation, we might get some customers, which is not the case. In your case, your friends are likely not the target audience. So you just focus on something that works. That's great to hear. Mm. We didn't quite uncover your process for guest posting. If you can share, like, what's the volume of guest posts you've been able to do? Like, what do you have a CRM? Did you just email blast everybody? Like, what did you do? Yeah. So I have never, I'm pretty sure, I'd want to say never, but I don't think I've ever written one of those cold uh, guest post outreach emails. That's exactly that, what I'm asking you about. That yes. are flooding <laughs> yours and our support inboxes every single day. So haven't done it that way. What I've really taken the approach for doing is much more relationship-based so there are, for example, some Facebook communities that focus on blogging for B2B. And so you will find link builders in there, but you will also find, you know, editors of websites that you maybe want to post for. Or what's also possible is you can see where are the backlinks that like our competitors are, are getting links from. Does this kind of smell like a guest post? You know, you can kind of like suss it out a bit. And then the question is, okay, how can I reach out to whoever this person is or even get an intro to them? And yeah, sometimes it might also be like, I've done a lot of ghostwriting as well, where somebody else uh, that I met through one of these communities is actually selling guest posting services. This is so funny. So they sell guest posting services to their clients and then to make a better upside, they don't have to pay a writer. Instead, I write the content or someone on my team writes the content, and then we get links in that article. So for them, it's cheaper than taking part of their margin and paying a writer. And then, you know, we just absorb some of that cost or time and we get to put in some of our links and also links to other people who will include us in their articles so that for each guest post, that we contribute to publishing, we may get links in three to four other articles that we haven't written ourselves. Mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's nice. One thing we're doing is reverse engineering some of those uh, guest post requests or link collab requests. And we, we don't really accept guest posts because we strive for top quality content on our website. But we're open to like three-way link collaborations, which are well, they're of course prohibited, but they're not obviously traceable. So it's not that with every, uh, definitely not <laughs> every uh, in inbound email is worth reverse engineering, but some of them might be reasonable agencies who would be open for like long-term things. So doing that is also helpful. We do Harrow, um, not help a B2B writer. Well, that's not huge numbers else do we do that that's not huge volume altogether though like i wish we could do better <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah i mean one other thing which i wanted to mention is that we've had good success also uh, because our platform is integration heavy like one of our main usps is that we help integrate a wide variety of data sources when we do launch those integrations um, and kind of form a partnership with those companies 
oftentimes there's also the opportunity to do co-marketing. And mm-hmm. so, you know, they will be open to having us write an article for their blog. And oftentimes those companies are also potentially bigger and more established, in which case, you know, their blog has more reach or they have more domain authority and that can also be helpful. So it also just looks like legitimate. We've had great leads come in through guest posts that we published on our integration partners' websites. And it just adds this this air of legitimacy to you because you clearly have a direct relationship with a brand that they're already familiar with. What are your systems for monitoring SEO results over time? That would be the question. Yes, (laughs) for sure. I mean, so, so what I do, which is, again, I'm not as hands-on as I was before because now we have enough traffic and trials that I'm able to focus more on the product and kind of the marketing and SEO system. I have managed to make this mostly sustainable on its own. However, the big thing that I pay attention to that just keeps me informed of how things are going is using the Ahrefs Rank Tracker. So anytime we publish a new article, Then I will go and add some of the main keywords that we're targeting to our keyword list in in Ahrefs. And then Mm -hmm. we get a weekly report, which just kind of tells us generally, did we gain new rankings this week? Did we lose? You know, and then we can kind of check in on that content. So I would say that's kind of the main process that we do like on a regular basis just to keep tabs. And of course, paying attention to overall traffic growth, how much of that growth is coming from organic search. And then that you know, we have also some scheduled times during the year, like in the new year, we will be doing a content refresh, which pretty much always helps with rankings as well. So yeah, I would say that's kind of the main way that I'm monitoring more or less passively. And I do it in spurts because I don't have time to work on it every single week. So it's like every couple of months, I'm just, you know, just go into it, spend the time, fix things up, you know, improve the internal links, et cetera. And then watch the metrics improve after that. No silver bullet again, just tons of hard work, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a, it is a lot of hard work. I don't know, how, how are you doing this at UserList? Do you also like track the keywords that you want to be ranking for or more paying attention to top line traffic? We're hitting like both humans and SEO with content. So my efforts usually go in like Google Search Console and uh, evaluating like what pages work because one problem we have that we haven't brought up is that there's like a gazillion of ways people can describe the same thing. So Mm. let's say this week we're writing an article about renewal emails. Also, they can be called subscription update, uh, subscription renewal, annual renewal uh, emails for SaaS, payment reminders, billing reminders, and a gazillion of other combination of that. So Sure, it's a relief that Google is smart enough to sort of rank for bits and pieces of that and make sense of it all together. But when you try to like understand what query you rank for, well, that's not helpful. Like there's barely any specific wording that that that's successful. So we'd rather focus on what pages work and then try to prove those or reverse engineer what else they can rank for other things like that but it's it's not super perfect (laughs) definitely more like do and pray but Mm -hmm. with uh, some more uh, engineering in the end yeah i i would say it's also the same for us in the sense that at a certain point it's also just about recognition the more people you reach 
You will be kind of in their mind and they will feel a little bit familiar when they land on your website a second or a third time through search. And then eventually they might finally click on your homepage and find out what you do. But I think also our approach at this point is uh, because our customers are oftentimes not solution aware, we don't have very good bottom of funnel keywords that we can target. So instead we go very, very broad and then try to qualify before people sign up for a trial. Which is not the ideal scenario, but it's kind of the one, the strategy that we have. Email nurturing helps. For example, we have super long sales cycles. So Mm -hmm. we have given up almost at uh, trying to convert visitors into trials. Instead, we focus on trying to convert them into email subscribers Mm -hmm. to somehow capture that the content effort. So we have like opt-in widgets and other things, lead magnets, and then we can nurture them and then pray that they will stay with us. And then somehow the biggest sauce for us is that they convert when they are ripe for adopting a new tool. And that happens like once every five years, basically. So Mm -hmm. the sales cycle is incredibly long. It's not even realistically long. It's very interesting. But one thing we're doing this year that we didn't do before, we had a content strategy consultation with our pit of Databits, Arpit Chodhuri, he used to previously work with Integromat. So he's a really seasoned content guy. And he said, well, spend less time creating content and more time actually distributing it. And that doesn't mean like spamming forms. It means actually hanging out in communities, engaging in conversations and other things that I never have time for. So we hired somebody specifically. Now we have amazing Katarina on the team that specifically goes into uh, email and uh, SaaS marketing communities and interacts with people on our behalf. I can give you the numbers. It's like from six, uh, from 30 to 60 interactions per week or something wow. like that. And these are all human conversations, not about useless always, but just being there. That is very hard for the founder to do. But mm-hmm. I think that results in some placements in some newsletters, we're also like getting leads and other benefits of third and fourth level, so to speak. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that is definitely an interesting direction to pursue. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, we we also there's a lot of Facebook communities that not our like bigger customers tend to be on LinkedIn for us and not on Facebook, but a lot of the smaller ones will be on Facebook, and there's a lot of like word of mouth there. So. That's why I'm still on Facebook, for example, (laughs) is to be in some of those communities. I'm wondering, by the way, have you at UserList done any kind of webinars? Is this something that you're thinking about in terms of capturing that blog traffic that might not be ready yet or fully understand the benefits of working with a product like UserList? Have you tried this? We have never done like a real funnel. We have been hosting webinars this year, but to be honest, we sunsetted them because To be truly productive, you need to go to other people's audiences and somehow arrange those webinars. They're really hard to get right. And Mm. uh, those that we were doing were more for content creation and authority. So we were inviting guest experts and organizing events on our platform, which means we're just boiling our audience, so to speak, Mm -hmm. with a little bit of internal, external juice. So that didn't bring specific numbers. We did maybe, I don't know, six, 10 or or so of them. They were great. And then 
we decided to not to do this anymore. What we are doing in webinars is roundtables because they mm. like three or four experts on the same topic, a bit longer, but maybe once per quarter. That results in like collective distribution to their all of their audiences and gives better signups and just more more fun and more traction. So we're doing one of those in uh, January for freemium, for example. And uh, we did one in September for user onboarding, and it was great. It was also like genuinely fun. So sounds <laughs> amazing. All, all around. <laughs> and also, I guess a lot less work into in as opposed to when you do a webinar and you have to like prepare a whole presentation and you have to practice it a lot. You know, for doing a roundtable, it's like you need to prepare the questions and know the guests and know the topic, but you don't necessarily have to have like a full blown presentation. A full blown um, presentation can actually hurt if it's done oh, wrong. Like so, yeah. Uh, that's why Q and A and a good roundtable is sometimes better. Um, how about yourself? Do you have a webinar funnel? Not yet, but I would say this is one of the big things that we definitely want to do in the new year. I think uh, a big part of us, as I said, we have uh, to do a lot of education because, you know, unlike maybe for user list where you're trying to con convince people to switch, most of our target customers don't have anything in place at the moment, which has pros and cons, right? So The adoption is maybe easier. We still do a technical integration and sometimes their website might have all kinds of behavior that we have to handle. But, you know, it means we don't necessarily have to do a migration from an existing tool. But the flip side of that, of course, is that they are not necessarily 100% clued into the benefits and why does something cost the way it does. You know, so being able to do a webinar on basically what are the best practices in the industry for affiliate analytics, I think it's going to be potentially big for us because it's just a topic that has previously been kind of only really talked about at very high levels. And yeah, we have like an interesting, interesting amount of exposure to be able to talk about this topic because it's not just our own experience, but broadly our observations across the customer base. So yeah, the dream will be someone besides me doing that webinar, which is oh, what I'm yes, hoping. yes, of course. Yes. <laughs> so I, as we were talking about, I just hired my first uh, sales manager. And so Congrats. Um, I'm hoping amazing. <laughs> webinars are supposed to be part of the deal. So that's uh, obviously oh. I will help, but that's one of the big things I'm hoping he's going to be able to help us with. For us, the, like it worked perfectly in theory and in practice. Um, it's hard to get placements. And, and, and secondly, for example, with podcast uh, guesting, it's all a pretty established industry. So the format is like, I'm your guest, you're, you're my guest, like I, I publish, everybody knows what's happening. And with webinars, there is no established process. So, for example, you want to make sure they promote it to their mailing list. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a tacky thing to do, but you want to make sure because if they put you in the footer of their newsletter, that's going to convert two people. Like, and you don't want a webinar with two people in it. So, no. at least even that aspect is hard to get, and that's uh, given you you've been given the placement, and uh, that that kind of outreach is also pretty challenging to get because sure the value is there, you provide education, but it's obvious that you're trying. To kind of use them. It's not nice. I'm not a fan of uh, dynamics like that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think hopefully 
what we will end up is kind of an ever, evergreen webinar that people will be signing up to, as opposed yeah. to the email list that I honestly don't email. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. So we that, that's what I'm hoping for. A pre-recorded demo, sort of like a webinar format as a lead magnet on the site for a while. And uh, that has been attracting leads, but we replaced it with a human demo again to just have more conversations ultimately. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. That's also what I'm doing. <laughs> but my new my new friend uh, is also going to be doing them soon. So exciting Amazing. for the next step. As we're wrapping up today's episode, a ton of advice and summing up what would be one do and one don't when it comes to SEO for SaaS. I mean, we we kind of harped on this a lot, but I would say the main thing is don't think that your content can rank based purely on quality or that if you just publish quality content, I know it's sad, if you just publish quality content that uh, the people will come, unfortunately, it is the case that you you probably have to target keywords that have proven demand in by means of search volume. And sometimes just getting that bigger amount of exposure is just really helpful also from like a brand building perspective. So I would say don't make that assumption. But then the other like kind of complementary part of that is do find creative and non-spammy ways to build links. Because when you are competing with big SaaS companies for small search volumes and competitive terms with high intent to buy, that is you know, one of the main ways that you can show that you're a unique authority on the topic by getting links from other people who are authorities in the same topic. So really focusing on, you know, what publications can you write for that are experts on the topics that you want to rank for and just be really relevant. Those are the two things that finally in the end worked for us. And now, as I, as I alluded to before, we are finally reaching that promised land where we start to pick up backlinks from, you know, 70, 80, 90 domain rating websites that we didn't do a guest post or talk to them. They're just citing our content, which is what Google tells you is supposed to happen. But the reality is it only happens apparently once you have reached a big enough traffic volume that people even see you exist. So that would be my big learning about ranking in SaaS, um, those, those two aspects. One question that I forgot to ask, is it just listicles that you're focusing on? Like what's your favorite type of content you're producing these days or still listicles in other industries? Oh, so, I mean, the listicles are the ones that we could do a really big volume of, but we also have a combination of ultimate guides, for example. Mm -hmm. So, and we do these all as content clusters and think about how we can internally link them. So for example, we have one hub article, which is about free traffic sources for affiliate marketing. And then we have all of the supporting content, which will be things like Instagram affiliate marketing, YouTube affiliate marketing, Facebook affiliate marketing. And so we'll just say, we're going to like, not only write this one article, but we're going to write these six articles that are all about this topic and will be tightly interlinked and interconnected. So those like how-to guides are important. And as much as possible, we try to find something where we have a pattern that works and we can replicate it. 
So for example, we recently published an article on affiliate marketing in Canada. So now we will also publish the same thing for Australia, the UK, South Africa, and you know any other country that has like meaningful search volume and is kind of in our target audience. So I would say that's kind of how we do it. We have like these kind of prototypes about, you know, content type templates or lots of lists, but even better, you know, when you can get one idea and then end up with five articles out of that idea. One to do for me today is to go uh, put down the mic, head over to Ahrefs and reverse engineer your SEO now, <laughs> because I didn't do that before. I'm really curious. Yeah, it's, it's finally working. But it was not it, it was not fast. It was very slow in the beginning and then finally working. <laughs> so yeah, definitely. Where can people find you online? And I do know you have a free guide on SEO. It wasn't even intentional, uh, but it is super relevant to our topic today. For sure. Yeah. So a uh, main place to find me would be on Twitter at Monica Lent. And then the pinned tweet on my profile is a free course that I made. It's a video course called SEO for devs. And it's really meant to distill in a couple of videos, how I personally approach SEO as a software developer, and hopefully kind of demystify the aspects of it that are usually a bit hard to understand or don't feel very concrete for a technical audience. But even if you're not technical, at least some of the videos will be relevant and interesting too. Amazing. Thanks so much for your advice today. It was a wonderful chat and I hope you have a wonderful 2023. Thanks so much, Jane. I hope you have a great year too. Thanks for listening. You can find a written recap for this episode at userless.com slash podcast. Please help us grow by leaving a review on iTunes.